One of the fun things about doing a podcast is you occasionally get asked by other podcasters to be on their shows. And you may have noticed I had the guest Carl Landau, formerly of Niche Media. And uh, he asked me to be on his podcast, which is actually entitled, I Used to Be Somebody. It's a little bit longer format, and you can go listen to his podcast. A little of it was about Sports Card Insight. So I've extracted uh, a few of the passages that Carl and I had, which was very enjoyable. He's asking me questions because it's his show. And uh, some of those questions I think were uh, worth forwarding on to you. So thanks, sponsors, Top Spinning, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huckman Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Card, Burbank Sports Cards. Compsy.com and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Just want to let people uh, in on uh, the conversation that Carl and I had. Again, you can check the whole episode, but here's the Sports Card Insights relevant parts for your listening pleasure. So have a good weekend, and I'll be back again on Monday. And here it is. Dr. Beckett, what was the worst job you ever had? I worked on a garbage truck when I was in high school. Oh. Miserable. Anything is up from there, not just in the smell. It's just beyond description. Occasionally, there are some jobs that are so odious that it doesn't matter <laughs> who you're working with. It just stinks. Honestly, if you didn't have bad jobs at the beginning, you can't appreciate the good jobs later. When I owned my own company, I really didn't like having the first time they had a professional job. And they think we ran things pretty well. And sometimes you were unappreciated because they, they hadn't had a bad job yet. We had tons of those. A lot of people we hired right out of school, first job, and they just expected. It. But the joke was on them because when they went to work for some other company, they found mm-hmm. out <laughs> yeah. what real life was like. Your personal background, where did you grow up? I grew up in the Midwest. I lived in 18 houses in my first 18 years. My dad was oh. corporate executive as well as uh, in the military as an officer. We moved around mostly in the Midwest, but some overseas in uh, Japan. Mm-hmm. So I went to a bunch of schools and it, it means you got to be a quick study when you're moving around. Wherever I went, I think collecting sports cards was a great uh, socializer for me and playing sports. Yeah. What's amazing, half the people that I've interviewed so far, and these are very successful people, half of them had similar background in the fact that they lived overseas at some point and they also moved around a lot. Maybe that sort of prepares you for life. You've got to be nimble. Yeah. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you've got to be adaptable. You've got to be a quick study to be able to pivot. You don't think it's a blessing when you're growing up moving, but in hindsight, you look back and you say that was preparation. Yeah. So did your mom work outside the house or? Not uh, while we were there. When everybody was under the roof, my dad was uh, in corporate America. And as soon as everybody was out of school, he became an entrepreneur, bought a business. And I never knew that my dad was so entrepreneurial because he was a company guy, very loyal, very sharp, hardworking. Mm-hmm. If you are loyal and hardworking and sharp, it's fun to work for yourself <laughs> yeah. and reap the rewards of your own talent and ability and assemble some great teammates around you. Yeah. About your childhood. Did you have any clue whatsoever what you wanted to do when you grew up? I love sports and I love math. So mm-hmm. I actually put them together in all my careers. I've always had a consulting bent. So I think mm-hmm. I, I've always been a problem solver. The good thing about math is that usually when you solve the problem, it's the one right answer. It's not interpretive. It's right or it's wrong. Okay. I read that you went to Southern Methodist University, SMU, where you earned your PhD in statistics. Did you play sports at SMU? I went out for the tennis team. I made it almost the first semester, and I realized that my excellence in high school was not going to translate to excellence in college. Then I, I became an intramurals guy. I, I practically minored in intramural sports at, at SMU and <laughs> met most of my great friends, either playing with them or against them. It wasn't until 1984 that I, I launched the publishing company. Interesting enough, 1984, I launched my first 
magazine, Computer Language for Professional Software Developers. So we, we both launched the, the same year. I started a second magazine called AI Expert about artificial intelligence and then started a related conference and trade show. I think 1984, we weren't the only ones. There were a lot of magazines being started because that was when personal computers and personal publishing were becoming available. I couldn't have done what I did if it had been a number of years before because the hardware, the software, the ability to turn the product, it would have been prohibitive. Another thing where we're different, Carl, I, I'm really not a serial entrepreneur. I'm an opportunistic entrepreneur. I had a, a great idea. I have many great ideas, but that mm -hmm. great idea had some legs on it. It sure seemed like I should be the guy to uh, carry that forward. And I did until it was time for me to find the, the, the next owner of the company. At the height of Beckett, how many? We were getting 1 million pieces of mail uh, a year, snail mail in the oh, days God. before email, buckets of mail. The joke is to entrepreneurs is that many of them had checks in there. People don't even believe this now, but when I launched Computer Language, I raised $50,000 to start the magazine and we invested it all in direct mail. Jim, we got over a 12% response on a hard offer. So generated $200,000 in revenue before we had a magazine just from direct mail. And yeah. people today, they wouldn't even imagine what that was like. I think I have the record for greatest direct mail return because you uh -huh. know, again two or three percent is good twelve percent is outstanding we got a thousand percent i sent out a thousand direct mail pieces and got back ten thousand orders <laughs> oh my god i got 400 subscribers and the other 600 said i want 10 15 20 30 40 50 because i sent out to dealers and collectors right and i said you may want to get a subscription and you may want to resell it so we had ten thousand uh, right from the get-go. That's unbelievable. You had a heart attack in your 40s. Obviously, that was a huge event. Did that change your life in some way? The, the short answer is yes, <laughs> of course. I never really came back from it in the day-to-day -day sense. It uh, kicked me upstairs into more of an executive role in my company, which I didn't really enjoy as much. I was more hands-on. Since I, I bootstraps, I had done virtually every job in the company, and I loved mm -hmm interacting with the people and what they were doing. After my heart attack, it just seemed like I needed to, to get some control of my schedule and to work on my health. That meant, as I, I think I became a better delegator, but mm -hmm. the, the, the price was I really wasn't as tuned into what was going on in every cubicle in our company. For me, that wasn't as much fun. You fast yeah. forward a few years and I'm thinking, I never thought I would sell because what would I do? It had my name on it. I thought, yeah, I, I came back from a heart attack and I don't think it's for the purpose of building a bigger company. The company was already plenty big. I've never had goals. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm more directional. I want to go in the right direction and keep moving in the right direction. So I've done that. But it just seemed like it was time for me to sell. So anyway, you sold it for a lot of money. How did that change your life? It didn't change it as much financially as it did margin. Actually, I had financial margin before. I was actually right. in good shape before I started the company because I had lucrative jobs and, and did well. So it wasn't money motivated, but the money is how you keep score when you sell the company and you take that money and you do something else with it. But I, I had very little time. So after selling the company, I had margin in my life. Mm -hmm. To be retired, to not have to be somewhere, but to still want to be engaged, not uh, on the sidelines and uh, sleeping in every day, but certainly getting better sleep than I did when I was right. in the thick of my, I don't think I was a workaholic, but I worked a lot of hours. That's one of the most common things when people don't have that big time job 
I, we all get more sleep in the last 20 years in the event business. And I love events because I love the interaction with everyone. And you get that instant reward where people are there and they're so excited and a, a total energy high. But the pressure, the events for me were really substantial. I didn't even realize it until after I sold. This might be a helpful insight for some of your listeners. I had a heart attack and I wasn't overweight. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink that much. So it, it had to be stress. What entrepreneurs need to realize is that there's positive stress as well as negative stress. Mm -hmm. People only think that stress is negative. Oh, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. But no, the exhilaration, the adrenaline, the trade shows where you think I don't even need sleep because this is so exciting. But mm -hmm. your body does not like that. So I think I had positive stress and negative stress that I was not really recognizing but that's a real wake-up call when you drop dead of a heart attack and you're miraculously revived and you're not going to come back to the fire pit. You're saying, i got some margin now. I'm not giving it up. It's funny. On the event side, everyone would always say, you must feel so relieved. Your mind doesn't know that for three, four days. I had my company that's media for 20 years. I really wish I had sold it probably five years earlier because I realized all these other things I could be doing. Your greatest position is strength is when you don't want to sell. Yes. <laughs> Somebody has to knock on your door and say, I know you don't want to sell, but would you take this outrageous amount of money? If you're going out looking for a buyer, you're already at some disadvantage. So when I didn't want to sell is when I probably would have gotten a higher, but I'm not complaining. I've been very blessed. I, I work yeah. with great teammates. I started something, I got out, and I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. You sell, and then did you have any like missteps? We call it unretirement. Did you have any missteps until you figured things out? No, I really didn't. Here's yeah. the reason. The average number of jobs I've had in my life at the same time is 1.5. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've, I've always had at least one job and sometimes two. The differential in the pay could be drastic, but they were serious side gigs. And the sports card stuff was a side gig at first, and it turns into the main thing. Toward the end of that, I started what was a side gig and was my main thing for a while, and that was pro bono consulting. There were a lot of organizations that individuals, leaders, future leaders that needed some uh, unbiased perspective. They might be stuck. They're thinking about something and to give them a place where they could come when somebody was not trying to engage them for a long-term consulting assignment, but would give them a fresh, honest perspective. I have no ax to grind, except I want my friends to, to prosper. I had started that at least oh, 10 wow. years before I sold the company. I was doing uh, a couple hundred meetings a year of pro bono consulting. So I had a big network and I'd, I'd bring in my peers to help. We had a steady stream of really interesting consulting engagements. But again, most of them are one shots. If you're not mm -hmm. charging, you don't want to meet with somebody once a week. That would right. wear me out. So for the last 26 years, we've been doing at least 200 a year. It's 200 different entities. So that's, it's that's very really fresh. Great. It fits my personality of getting an initial take on a, a business problem or a nonprofit problem that they're just not able to solve and they need a creative solution. I don't put any equity in the deal. I, mm -hmm. I do invest in some of the nonprofits, but that's more of a donation. And, wow. But there's organizations I care about. But when I was on the board, Carl, I just would do board speak. So I got off all the boards and I said, look, let me know if you've got a problem you're really wrestling with. Mm -hmm. And I'll meet with you or I'll convene some like-minded people that I think could speak into that situation. We've had 5,000 meetings. So that, that is that really is fulfilling, awesome. fulfilling. So that's been my last career. So in my daily podcast now, mm -hmm. when I say I unretired, I'm unretiring from being retired in my sports car job, which I never really went away. But I've now jumped into a daily podcast, which doesn't feel like a job, but it's a commitment of some time each day to put out content that uh, my audience would 
appreciate. So I, I'm having a blast. You currently host the Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insight Podcast. I don't even collect cards, but I actually love it. You're the hardest working man in the podcast industry. The other thing I'm good at of all my careers, I just think I always could figure out shortcuts. Can you sum up in five or less words to describe your on retirement? When I started the company, my vision was to bring order out of the chaos that mm-hmm. was obvious and seemingly intractable in the industry. What I've learned as I've gotten older, though, is that you don't want to eliminate all the chaos. You don't want to make it robotic order. A little bit of chaos is still part of the, the joy de vivre. When you're at this stage of life, you'd like to leave the world in better shape. I don't know that we're doing a good job of that, but better shape than when you got there. The parts of the world where you have fingerprints, you'd like to make a positive impact. That's why I'm doing the podcast. I can influence the influencers in my industry through my podcast, and I'll feel good about that. That's really well stated. Keep up the great work, Carl.